0: We're really glad that you decided to be with us, and we hope that you feel welcome. I feel like you're a part of the family. We love everyone here, those who are members and those, those who are visitors. We're really, really glad that you are here. You know, it's a good morning for a lot of reasons. It's a Sunday. Sundays are amazing. We get to be together. But it's another good re- there's another reason it's a good morning for me. I saw something incredible on my way to church this morning. I stopped at a stop sign, um, and there was a motorcycle coming down, and he was going pretty fast, and so I stopped waiting for him to pass. And as he's going by, the man on this motorcycle, I think, was a Viking. He had this glorious beard. But the best part about it was that he was going so fast that his beard was flying in his face. I don't know how he saw, but it was incredible to see. It has nothing to do with the sermon today, but I just wanted to share that. It made my day. I was like, you yeah, know, this is, this is a good day. <laughs> so authority is kind of the theme of this passage that we're looking at in Mark. Uh, for those of you who, who are guests, we're studying through Mark on our Sunday morning lessons. And authority, when I think about authority, I think about a couple different things. One of them is the picture that you see right here. Uh, this, the man in the throne is Chief Mimena. Uh, really, he's, he's King Mimena. Um We just, chief is kind of, you know, the R word for it. But he was the, the king in the area that I lived in when we lived in Zambia. And I say that this reminds me of authority because of, one, he's the king. He has authority. But what's in this picture? You see his throne. Uh, he's sitting on a throne. Um, that is a symbol of his authority, of his power. Um, also, he, the, that tribe that he was the king over, their symbol was the lion. And so you see the, the stuffed lions on either side of him and just the lion symbols all in, all in his palace. Uh, when you think of a lion, you think of authority, you know, the king of the jungle. Have you ever seen Lion King, right? So this picture reminds me of authority, and that man makes me think of authority. Someone who's in control, someone who's in charge, who gets to make the calls. There's another picture that reminds me of authority. It's this one. This is my father. Um, he's really good at selfies. So, <laughs> But he was, you know, he's, he's an authority in my life, definitely, certainly when I lived at home. And, you know, when when he told me to do something, he's the authority. I'm going to do it, right? And so uh, this is somebody I think of when I think of authority. And back in 2016, when uh, he became an elder, right before that happened, uh, he sat our family down and said, hey, you know, this is a possibility. They're considering me as being an elder. And this is what, you know, this will mean for our family and everything. And we were super supportive. We were like, yes, we'd, we'd love for you to do that and help you in any way possible. Um, But then I kind of had this in the back of my head. I I was planning on messing with my dad, and I did for like the first month, of his eldership. I told him, or every time I saw him, I said, so uh, Mr. Supreme Overlord, how's the the church doing? (laughs) Which is, if you were in Ron's class, that's not what an elder is. But I I like to mess with him that way um, because of his authority as an elder. Jesus' authority is different, though, than those two pictures. Um, It's it's more, it's bigger, it's better. Um, But I want to read the first two verses from that passage in Mark chapter 1 verses 21 and 22, as we think about authority. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now there's one thing to note from this passage that doesn't particularly pertain to this lesson, but it's important to know as we study Mark, as we study the life of Jesus and and for later lessons. Capernaum is going to be Jesus' home base, kind of his, his place that he goes back to during his ministry in the region of Galilee. This town is going to come back up multiple times in Jesus' ministry. Um, and so that's something to, to know about Jesus' life. But Capernaum itself is not what's important. It's what happens in Capernaum in the story that is so important. Jesus is still in the early stages of his ministry. Even his apostles are still trying to figure out who he is. They're not exactly sure who this Jesus is, but there were a lot of people that had not heard about Jesus or if they had, they didn't really understand who he was or what he was here to do. But what I love about this passage, what's so interesting about it is this is where Jesus begins to make some ripples across Galilee and across Israel. Not only are people starting to hear about Jesus, but they're starting to to wonder there might be something different about this man. One of the first things that they noticed about Jesus that set him apart from other people was his authority. But what did Jesus have authority over? What was it about Jesus that made him so authoritative? Well, I think from the passage we just read, the first thing Jesus had authority over was truth. The people noticed that Jesus taught with authority. But what would Jesus have been teaching? We don't know. It doesn't say what he was teaching, but it's probably very likely that it was similar to what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And if that's the case, Jesus would have been teaching the truth about a lot of different things. He would have been teaching the truth about what it means to be happy and blessed in the kingdom of God. He would have been teaching the truth about being Christian examples, Christ's relation to the old law, how to deal with anger, the danger of lust, divorce, oaths, going the extra mile, loving our enemies, generosity, prayer, fasting, spiritual priorities, the truth about anxiety and judgment, God's provision, the spiritual choices of the world, how to identify false prophets, and even the importance of an active faith. But even if Jesus wasn't teaching specifically about those things like he does in the Sermon on the Mount, we know that whatever Jesus was teaching, it was true. It was true. But Jesus wasn't just sharing the truth about those topics. He was sharing the truth with authority, Jesus has authority over truth. Now, when we think about truth, there's kind of three main ways that you can think about truth. The first of them is that people determine what truth is. And this view is, many of you have probably heard of it, many of you probably know it, many of you probably know people who believe this. Um, it's, It's the idea that, you know, I have my truth, you have your truth, they're both equally true and that's okay. And I think a lot of us have had encounters with this belief system for those of us who are Christians, it is easy to dismiss this as just a ridiculous belief that it just—it you know, doesn't make sense. How could you think that? Why would you think that? But I will warn against that. For this reason, this view is something extremely legitimate and sincerely believed by a lot of people. Um, and you know, I believe it's wrong, but people believe it, and they sincerely believe it. And it's our job to stand up for the truth. It's our job to stand up for the truth and to lift Jesus up as the authority of that truth. But standing for the truth never requires us to attack other people. This belief is legitimate in a lot of people's minds. And while it is wrong, we must respect them as people, but we must seek to show them the more perfect way. The truth that Jesus has authority over truth, not us. Another way that truth can be viewed is that truth is bigger than God. This there's this belief that there are fundamental truths of the universe and they govern the way that we live and the way that God lives. And they they bind God's actions and his decisions. Essentially, truth is bigger than God. And this is a more abstract thought. Um, This may not be something that you've encountered or you've heard of, but basically you may have heard it put this way. God can't do that or God shouldn't be able to do that. Or if God did that, that, that would be wrong, right? The idea or the assumption is that there are rights and there are wrongs and there are truths that are bigger than God and that supersede God. Therefore, it's possible for God to be wrong and to make mistakes or to do something unjust because God really isn't the greatest thing in the galaxy, in the universe. It's truth, and God lives under that. I would warn against that belief. The final way to view truth, and I think the way that Mark or the, the the lesson that Mark is trying to teach us is that God defines truth. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We don't get to determine truth. The truth is not bigger and greater than God. The truth is actually defined by who God is because he is truth. The truth about the way the world works, about the laws of nature, are all set by God. The truth about what is right, what is wrong, what morality is, is set by God. The truth about what it means to be a Christian, what the church is, who you and I are, is set by God. God doesn't live within the confines of truth and justice. God determines what truth and justice are. And just as God is truth, And defines truth. His word communicates truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You and I do not get to define truth. And we should never think that truth is somehow bigger than God. And governs his actions and his decisions. God is truth. He defines truth. And he communicates truth through his word. We learn the truth through reading God's word. And also by getting to know the person of Jesus. This is a big deal. A lot of people don't view it this way. And maybe it might even be scary thinking that, well, if God determines truth, then He can do whatever He wants and we're we're just puppets. Our God is a loving God and He does determine truth. But He gives us a choice whether to, to follow that truth, to believe in that truth. And that's up to us. But regardless of what we do, God determines what truth is. The way that Jesus demonstrated his authority over truth is fascinating. Um, and I love I love how the people notice it this way. They say they, they, you know, they they're like Jesus teaches with authority as opposed to the way the scribes teach. What was the difference? How did Jesus teach with authority? But the, you know, the greatest leaders and scholars didn't. What was the difference? It was because I think the scribes, like any other person, can only reference authority. They can only talk about authority when it comes to the truth. They can't define it. They can't determine it. That's Jesus. He has the authority to define and determine what truth is. And it's the same way today. Whether it's Adam, whether it's me, whether it's our elders, whether it's anybody up here or wherever you are that's teaching or leading a Bible study or something, all we can do, all a person can do is reference God's authority on what the truth is. We can't tell you uh, what we think truth is or what we, you know, this is this is the truth. We just share what God's truth is. That's what any speaker, any teacher, any preacher, any elder should ever do. We reference God's authority, but we can't teach with the authority of God because that is reserved for him. We are not the authority because we ourselves are not truth. We cannot determine truth. God does. He defines what truth is. And our job is to know that truth based on what he's communicated with us. If you have a bulletin and you have that little middle section and you're taking notes on those last two blanks under this bullet point, uh, this is is what goes in there. The first one, Jesus has authority. We reference authority. And the last one, God can define truth We can know truth. I don't want you to miss that last point. Even though God defines truth and we we don't get a say in what is true, what is right and what is wrong, we can still know it. God is clear about what it is. We don't have to live in confusion. God tells us what the truth is. We can know the truth. But Jesus has authority over more than just that. Let's continue on in Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 28. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Another way that Jesus has authority is he has authority over spiritual forces. You know, demon possession is a fascinating topic to study in the Gospels. And my goal this morning is not to get into demon possession. But there is one question that has to be addressed when we talk about these things that that always comes up when you talk about demons and stories like this. The question is, Why does demon possession seem to increase during the life of Jesus? And that's usually closely followed by the question, is demon possession still possible today? Well, there have been many theories as to why demon possession increased during the life of Jesus. Uh, Many of them proposed by people a lot smarter than me. But there's really two main ones that keep coming back up. Um, And those are that demon possession was allowed during the time of Christ so that Christ could demonstrate his power and authority over them. Uh, The other one is that Satan chose to ramp up his spiritual warfare on this earth at the same time that God begins his, or Jesus begins his ministry on this earth as well. I think either of those are perfectly plausible explanations. We don't know the exact answer. The Bible doesn't tell us, and that's okay. We do know that that demon's possession is around during Jesus' time. But as far as the the second question, does demon possession still happen today? Once again, we don't know. I will say this, though. If you are inviting Satan and his demons into your life, don't be surprised when they show up. But here's what I do know. Spiritual forces, Satan, demons, even angels, God, are real. They're active in today's world, but Jesus has authority over them all. But for this point to matter we've got to talk about something um, that is is a missionary principle, actually. Um, It is called the law of the excluded middle, or the flaw, as some people call it, of the excluded middle. Like I said, this is a, a missionary principle, and what this model is used for is to help missionaries understand their Western culture in relation to cultures around the world and what other cultures typically believe. Basically, it goes like this. In Western cultures, such as Europe, such as North America, our culture, we divide reality into two realms, the physical and the spiritual, right? In the spiritual, there's God. That's where he lives, That's where he works in the physical. There's us. That's where we live. That's where we work. Things like faith and miracles and salvation, those all stay in the, you know, the spiritual realm and things like science, the laws of nature, all of those control the physical realm. In, in Western societies, if you do believe in God, obviously, if you're coming from an atheist background, there's only one realm. If you do believe in God in Western societies, a lot of the times, it's it's taught or believed, or the assumption is that these these realms can communicate, they can interact to a certain degree, but they don't touch very often. They they don't they don't come into direct contact all that much. However, in a lot of cultures on Earth. The majority of people on this planet believe that there's a third realm. There's a middle realm. This is the realm where the spiritual and the physical meet. For many pagan cultures, this is where gods and goddesses, dead ancestors, ghosts, all interact with the physical world. In Christianity, the middle realm can include demon possession or spiritual warfare, this might sound really strange um, and something that like I'm just making it up. I promise this is a thing. Um, but here are some verses from the Bible that talk about this um, and not this terminology, but it's the same thing, same idea. First Peter five, verse eight. Many of y'all know this passage. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 12, another familiar passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Why is this so important? The law of the excluded middle is so important to be aware of so that we don't exclude the middle section. As Christians, as spiritual soldiers in the kingdom of God, we must be aware that we are involved in a spiritual war and that there are spiritual forces at work in this world. God isn't just over there and, and we're over here and we just kind of do our own thing. And we don't know all the ways that this works and this plays out. I'm, I would not be you know, so prideful to say that I know how this works. But we do know that the Bible teaches that the spiritual and the physical are intertwined. Satan and his demons are actively trying to tempt us and turn us away from God. And Satan would love nothing more than for you and I to deny the reality that he's actively working against us and against the church. Because when we cease to be aware, when we cease to be vigilant of that reality, of the schemes of Satan, when we deny and forget the spiritual warfare going on all around us, We make ourselves easy targets for Satan's lies and his temptations. But Satan and his demons are not the only spiritual forces working in this world. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the angels of heaven are working in this world too. God is actively working to comfort, love, and protect his people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7 Jesus' blood is constantly working in the lives of Christians to forgive them and wash away their sins. 1 John 1 verse 7. The Holy Spirit is actively working to guide people through the Bible, to comfort us and to aid us in prayer. 2 Peter 1 21, Acts 9 31, and Romans 8 26 through 27. And even the angels of heaven are actively ministering to those who are to inherit salvation. Hebrews 1, verse 14. It's crucial that we never forget that there are evil spiritual forces at work. But it is just as, if not more important to remember that God and spiritual forces of heaven are at work too. Spiritual forces are at work in this world. But there's one more part of this puzzle that is crucial to remember. In this spiritual war, Jesus has authority over all spiritual forces. And more than that, Jesus has already won the war. I find it interesting that the demon in Mark chapter 1 knew exactly what Jesus was there to do. He asked Jesus if he's there to destroy him and the other spiritual forces of evil. And that's exactly what Jesus was on this earth to do. He came to earth to defeat death, to defeat sin, to gain ultimate victory over Satan and the forces of evil. And then Jesus commands the demon to be silent and to come out of the man. And the demon has no choice but to obey. Because who has authority? Jesus does. There are evil spiritual forces at work, but Jesus has won the war and he has full authority and his people, Christians, us, can be confident, can be secure in him, knowing that our salvation cannot be touched by Satan and his demons. Our faith cannot be touched by Satan and his demons. We can choose to lose those things. We can choose to give up on Jesus, but Satan can never force us to give up on Jesus because Jesus has authority and he can give us that peace and security, and comfort. Romans 8:37 through 39 one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But there's one more thing that this passage reveals that Jesus has authority over. Let's finish it out. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus has authority over disease. You know, the average person at the time that Jesus was living had more immediate problems than their view of truth uh, or their understanding of spiritual warfare going on around them. They were sick. They were in need. They had very real, present, physical needs. And Jesus had authority over that. He had authority to heal them. He had authority to change them. We too are sick. All of us struggle with some sort of physical illness or problem. Certainly some of us are healthier than others, and that's a blessing. But even if you currently don't have a physical problem, you will. We all will. And that's just the way that life works as we get older. But more than that, we are all sick with a disease, and that disease is sin. Every single one of us has been touched by the disease of others' sin and our own sin. But Jesus has authority over that too. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14-18 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, He is bigger than our sins. And while Jesus doesn't always heal us in physical ways, although the power of God is, I think we see it sometimes in His physical healing, Jesus' blood will always forgive us. It will always heal us of our sin, our greatest disease, if we're a Christian, if we're a faithful, repentant Christian. Jesus has authority over disease. He has authority over our greatest disease, sin. So that's the end of this of this passage. Uh, We've gone through it. We've seen how Jesus has authority. But I want to go back and read a couple of verses from this section because I think it's so crucial to understand how people responded to Jesus' authority. Go back to verse 28 of Mark 1. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Skip down to verse 31 and 32. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Jesus has authority over truth, over spiritual forces and over disease, over sin. But what does that mean for us? If we're going to be like the people in Mark chapter one, and I think we should be, our response should be what they did. They did three things. They told others, they served others, and they brought others to Jesus. When we understand and appreciate the authority of Jesus, we have no other choice but to tell others, to serve others, and to bring others to Jesus. What do we tell others? We tell them the truth. We tell them that Jesus is the authority over truth. We tell them the truth that the world out there is confusing. The world out there is hard. Satan is active in tearing people down, and tempting them. But Jesus has authority. Jesus can protect you from that. Jesus can save you from that. And that your sin, the worst things in your life, Jesus has authority over that. He can give you comfort. He can give you peace. Jesus can bring you through it. That's what we tell them. Why do we serve them? I mean, Peter's mother-in-law, the first thing she did when she's healed is to start serving because Jesus had served her. Jesus has done so much for us. How much can we do for Jesus in return? And finally, everyone was bringing people to Jesus to see the healing, to see the way He was casting out demons. This was something that could not be contained. This is something, a knowledge that you could not keep to yourself. You had to tell other people what Jesus was doing, what the authority of Jesus looked like. That's what we're called to do. This morning... Like every morning, we offer an invitation. And the invitation is open to anyone. Members, visitors, those who are struggling, those who life is good and and you just want prayers and want encouragement. The invitation is open to everyone. But the truth is that we have all been tainted by sin. All of us are imperfect. All of us have problems. All of us fail all the time. But the truth also is that Jesus gives us a way out of that. Jesus is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than the forces of evil who who would have you to do something different than what he wants. Jesus is our friend, but he's also the greatest being in the universe. And he wants you. He loves you and he wants you. Will you respond to that? Will you let Jesus be the authority and the king of your life when so many people choose to be their own authority? Will you let Jesus be the authority of your life? I hope your answer is yes. And if that's the case, the truth that he reveals, that he determines, that he sets for us, is that we become a Christian through repentance, through belief, repentance, through confessing his name, and through being baptized. That's the truth. And then after that, we get to live a life of comfort and peace, knowing that Satan and his forces cannot touch us, because we are Jesus's. And he's bigger than our problems, and he will bring us home one day. Whatever you need, please come as we stand and we sing.